as Brother Sean talked about in his prayer just before the last song, it's a difficult time, uh, difficult in many different ways. We've had folks that have lost loved ones, had people that are sick, uh, people have been sick, some are still recovering. You spread that out to the world and it just gets bigger, larger, uh, the struggles that are going on right now in the world. Sometimes, for me anyway, it's it's easy to kind of get pessimistic and, and think, well, things are really, really going bad. And I thought it might be useful this morning to, to study about God this morning and the fact that he's still who he always has been. Uh, the title of our subject this morning is the sovereignty of God. Now, sovereignty or sovereign is not a word that I use very often. Uh, it's a little big for me. I'm not that educated. Uh, you won't even find it in the King James Version. You will find it in some other translations. Uh, but it's a word that, that men use many times in, in uh, speaking of God. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, we'll probably study some things this morning that may be a little difficult for us to wrap our heads around. It is for me sometimes. Uh, may even say some things that you, you may find a little hard. Uh, but I hope we don't say anything that is not biblical this morning. And I'm not giving this study this morning to, uh, be, to answer all our questions about God's divine power and nature. Uh, we couldn't do that if we stayed here for months. But I do hope that we can go home having a better, stronger faith and believing that uh, God is divine in nature and that he does have the power to control everything. Uh, I want to start with just a simple uh, definition of the word sovereign or sovereignty. And I suppose in its simplest form, it, it simply means supreme power or authority. So as we go through this this morning, I may use power and authority. I may use rule uh, or sovereignty, all as interchangeable factors. But in its simplest form, this is man's definition, and it's really lacking. It, it really lacks terribly uh, because man sometimes will assign this word sovereign to kings or queens, and it really shouldn't be so in my view. Uh, complete power and authority, supreme power and authority ought to be categorized to God only, in my view. Uh, anyone less than God doesn't have a right to, uh, to claim that power. But God does have that right. But as I said, the definition is rather lacking uh, in my view. So without my ideas or your ideas or mankind's ideas, I want to let the Bible try to define God's power and authority or his sovereignty to us this morning. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if it's required much anymore, but when I was young, uh, if you were in a court of law or if there was some other particular incident where uh, you were trying, to, you were committing or being asked to commit to a set of rules and regulations or something in which 
you would, uh, you would be asked to tell the truth all the time, especially in a court of law where you would be asked or required to tell the truth. Sometimes you were asked to swear an oath. And many times that oath would include God. Do you swear by God that what you're about to say is truth, is the truth? And whether you agree with that concept of doing that or not, it was designed to, to show that an extreme dedication to telling the truth. I am telling the truth. I'm willing to say this because I'm a, I am telling the truth. Now I want you to notice in Hebrews 6 and verse 13, the Bible says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. You know, we can look up and say, well, God is greater than us. We understand that. But when God made a promise, there was no greater he could swear by. There was no, no being greater that he could swear by. So he swore by himself. So that begins to show the, uh, the power and the authority of God right there. <clears throat> In Isaiah 46 and verse 9 the Bible says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. So as we see in the Bible, as we begin to define the power and authority of God, God says of himself, I am God, there is no one else. There's no one else. I am God, there is none like me. He is unique. He is completely unique. We call things unique sometimes when there are others that are similar but in this case, there's no one even similar to God. There's none like me. When we begin to understand that, when we begin to wrap our head around that, the next couple of verses, verses 10 and 11, we begin to see how God defines himself. <clears throat> Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient time, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east. The man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have proposed it. I will also do it. And we read that rather quickly. Even for me. But what's he saying here? Declaring the end from the beginning. You know, God declares how things are going to turn out from the very start. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows how things are going to, going to turn out. He knows the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. God says, I know from ancient times, from, from before the world existed, I know what people are going to do. I know what they're going to do. I know, I know how things are going to be. I know what they are doing, and I know what they are going to do. <clears throat> he says, my counsel shall stand. In other words, his righteousness will always be righteous. It always has been righteous. It always will be righteous. His counsel is always righteous. And I will do all my pleasure. You know, we like to say that. I'll do what I want. We, we don't. We can't. Not always. Sometimes we can't do what we want to do. God can. He can do his pleasure. He can do whatever he wants. 
Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. Whether I need to use a bird of prey, whether I need to use a guy from the next county, whether I need to use a guy from another country, my will will be done. I'll accomplish it. It's my choice. Yea, I have spoken it. This, this, one, this one amuses me. You know, God has said all there is to say on every subject. And he's given us the Bible for that purpose. But yet it amuses me when people say, I'm waiting for God to speak to me. I want him to speak to me. He already did. He already did. It's our responsibility to find out what he said. On any matter. No, but I want him to speak to me. Sure, sure you do. Just like he spoke to Israel in the thunderous voice when Mount Sinai shook and began to smoke in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 and all the people ran off and said, Don't, you, you speak to God, Moses. You speak to him and you tell us what he said and we'll listen to you, but don't let him speak to us anymore. We'll die. That's, that's how you want him to speak? Be careful what you wish for. God has spoken. That's what this scripture is telling us. I've spoken it all. I've said it all. It's settled. The subject is closed. It's our responsibility to find out what he said. <clears throat> I also bring it to pass. God has a will in things. The whole world. Everything about the world. It was his will. And it's not that he wants it to come to pass. He will bring it to pass. It will happen as he wants it to happen. I have proposed it. Everything he wants to happen has been proposed. He set it up. And he says, I will also do it. That is the definition of God. That is the definition of the power of God. He said all there is to say, and he will accomplish it. Now, <clears throat> listen to the verses tell us how God has controlled everything. He's controlled past, he controls the present, and he controls the future. He already knows the future. He knows the future just as much as we know the past. We know the past because we've lived in the past. We understand the past. He knows the future in the same way. He isn't a fortune teller. He doesn't have a crystal ball. It's because he designed it. He knows the future because he accomplishes the future. It is in his hand, as the Bible says. So when God speaks about my counsel... My covenant, my promises, my will. Don't you think we should listen to him? Without human bias? Knowing that he is the supreme authority of everything? I think these are verses that better define the power and authority, the supreme authority of God. You know, he has the authority. He has the right. He has the wisdom. <clears throat> He has the freedom. He has the power to make everything happen like he wants it to happen. 
And when you say that, he has the power also that anything that he doesn't want to happen will not happen, no matter how much we fight against him. Now, I can back this up with Scripture, and I hope you'll allow me to do it for a short period of time. Not with human wisdom, certainly not with my wisdom, not with your ideas, not with some scholar or theological idea, but with Scripture. You know, God rules nature. We, we know that. We realize that. But have you ever thought of the depth of God's rule in nature? He uses nature to accomplish his purposes. In Proverbs 16, verse 33, the Bible says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. God set everything in order, and now he's causing it to come to pass just as he set it in order, just as he designed nature. I want you to listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. The Bible says there in 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. How many of us have always thought or assumed that this scripture says, are not two sparrows so for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father knowing it, without he realizes it. And that's pretty powerful. That's not what the scripture says. This scripture says, one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. In other words, one doesn't fall to the ground without God's permission. That's the only way I know to put it. Without he allows it, one of them does not fall to the ground. And we, we live in the Texas Panhandle. We know how many sparrows there are. Here in this verse it says that a sparrow is about, or two sparrows is worth about one and a half cents. <laughs> they're, they're literally not worth a dime a dozen. But one of them doesn't fall to the ground unless God gives it permission to do so. Unless he allows it to happen. That's the power he has over nature. In verse 30, the Bible says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now let's think about this a little bit. In my case, it's not a big, not a big deal to, to number the hairs, to, to know how many, how many. And that's what, what we typically think of. He knows how many hairs are on your head. That's not what the scripture is saying. He has given every hair on your head a number. He has assigned a number to it. And he knows if hair 10,235 and 20,186 fell out in the sink this morning. He knows. God rules nature. And he has power and authority over nature. You know, in the book of Jonah, God appointed, he commanded a fish to swallow Jonah. And the fish did exactly that. The fish didn't say, well, that's a big ocean. I, I can't find him right now. The fish accomplished exactly what God wanted. God appointed, commanded a gourd to come up and offer shade to Jonah. The gourd didn't say, I, I need rain. You're going to have to send rain first. The gourd just did what God commanded. God commanded or appointed a worm to cut down the gourd. The worm 
didn't say, I, I'm not up to it right now. Talk to me next week or next year. He just did what God commanded. God has supreme power and authority over nature. Also over the stars. Think about Isaiah 40 and 26. Lift up your eyes and behold who hath created these things that bringeth about their host by number. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might for that he is strong in power not one faileth. Again, did you know not one star burns out without God giving it permission to do so? Not one. He knows every single one by name. He not only gave them names, he knows their names. Millions and millions, maybe billions and billions of stars. He knows their names. I don't even know my own name sometimes. He knows every star's name. And he knows when they are going to burn out, when they're going to fall. Why are they where they are? Because God put them there. Why are they doing, why are they traveling the way they travel? Because he designed for them to travel that way. And they obey his will. They do his will. <clears throat> In the end there it says, the Bible says, because God is sovereign, because he is mighty in power and strength. Not only the stars, but have you ever thought about the weather? We know the weather is in control of God, but do we understand how extreme control he has over the weather? You know, Psalm speaks of God's control over weather. Job speaks quite a lot about God's control over the weather. But look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. In the middle of a life-threatening storm, Jesus speaks three words, and the wind stops, the waves flatten, and the clouds disappear. The wind didn't say, well, I'm just getting started, just getting wound up. The waves didn't say, let us have one more shot at this ship. I believe we can sink it. They, they obey God instantly immediately without question but we can take a lot of lessons from that we can learn a lot from that my question is do we will we <clears throat> is God is Jesus the same today as he was on the sea of Galilee that night has he or God the father lost any of their power or control Can he still say peace, be still, and that happened today in weather, in our world, even in your heart? If he says that, can it still happen? Look, if, if God doesn't say peace, be still, and these crazy things that are going on around us, if he doesn't stop the storm that you're in the middle of that's going on in your life right now, is it possible that there's a reason that he doesn't? A reason that's larger than you needing it to stop. That's not really what we want to hear, is it? 
But as we've already discussed in times past, you know, human suffering plays a part in God's design for us. 1 Peter 3 and 17. <clears throat> for it is better if the will of God be also that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. If we're living as we should be living and we're still suffering, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If we're doing what we should be doing and we, we're still suffering, it's for some other purpose. It's for some other person's benefit, maybe. So for some other reason. But God says that if we suffer for well-doing, that's better. John 1, or James 1, chapter, uh, verse 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy that when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But I don't want my faith tried. I want it easy. It doesn't matter. You see, the trying of our faith works patience, whether we want it to be tried or not. Have you ever thought about God ruling over our human weaknesses? This, this is a tough one for me. This one's a little difficult for me. But God rules over our human weaknesses. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? You know, we look on folks that are suffering from ailments sometimes, and we, we feel sympathy for them, and there's nothing wrong with that. that that's good. But I want you to notice in this instance, you know, sometimes someone may lose their hearing or they may, may lose their eyesight from some sickness, from an illness, from an injury. Something may happen in their life. It may be something they did themselves, something they brought on their Maybe something someone else brought on. What I want you to notice in this verse is the end of the, we have the first question here, but the second question, who maketh? the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind. Who made them? Have not I the Lord? When a child is born blind, who made that child? God did. You know, there was a man in John chapter 9 that was born blind. And the, the apostles asked Jesus, said, why, why was this man born this way? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin that caused him to be born like this? Jesus said, neither. He said, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. The works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, so that God's power and authority could be demonstrated because Jesus healed him at this time. That's why that man was born blind. God made him that way for that purpose. That's a little hard for us to understand, but it's a fact. So is there any doubt that God is all-powerful, that he is the supreme power, the supreme authority? You know, he's the authority. He is sovereign over the lives of men. We don't think about this a lot, but in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 the Bible says, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and the knowledge to them that know understanding. 
He has power over people's lives. He takes this king down. He sets up another king. Proverbs 21 and 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God rules over men's lives. We may try to ignore it, but it happens. Colossians 1 and 16. For by him were all things created, all things, that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Did you notice the invisible? We don't talk about invisible things a lot. That's uh, science fiction. That's the uh, spiritual world. That's, that's ghosts and things like that, invisible things. God designed invisible things. They are out there. And he designed them. He has control over them. <clears throat> now I want you to notice God's role in the crucifixion. I think we, we can see uh, very plainly God's plan for everything. So I, before we look at this, if you if you want to turn there, it'll be Acts chapter 4, verses 27, 28. We'll have it up here as well. But I want to ask you a question. When the the rulers and when the Jews and the Gentiles, when they began to call for Jesus' crucifixion, when they put him on trial, when they had him scourged and persecuted and beaten, and ultimately put him on the cross, did they, just for a moment of time, slip out from under the control of God? Were they able to put God's, God's power to the side just for a few moments? Well, let's see. Acts chapter two verses, or Acts chapter four, verse 27. "For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast appointed anointed." Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Now, let's stop just a second and think about this. The Bible there says, For a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom you, God, have, a, have anointed. That's who we're talking about here. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, the Bible says they were gathered together. Now, why were they gathered together? What was the purpose? Verse 28, For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They were gathered together because God designed it to be that way. Now, no, I'm not telling you that God entered into the mind of Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the Israel and made them do that. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying they made a bad decision. They made a bad choice. They were at their worst. And they did it. It didn't have to be them. It could have been someone else. 
By extension, it is us today. But it could have been anyone else. But God had designed for that to happen, and it was going to happen. They were the ones that were at hand when it did happen. So here's the thing. Here, Here it is right here. Had it not been for God allowing them to make those bad decisions and to be involved in that sin at that time, we would have no salvation today because God designed it to be that way. There would have been no salvation. There would have been no blood of Jesus to wash away our, our sins. There would have been no precious sacrifice. There would have been no hope had he not allowed them to make that decision. They were still under his control, but he allowed them to. You remember Jesus said, I can call 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He had the control to, but he didn't. Now you think about that. And tonight when you, when you lay down to go to sleep, you think about this. God will let you make bad decisions too. And he'll use those bad decisions to accomplish his will. It may not be to your benefit, but it will be to someone's benefit. It may be a nightmare for you, but it may be a plus for someone else. But he will allow you to do that. So we ought to think about that when we're making our decisions and when we're trying to live a Christian life. You know, God has control over us as individuals. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, the Bible says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? Or is it even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away? For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. Because if the Lord doesn't will, we don't. Do you have plans for tomorrow? Will you accomplish them? If the Lord wills, you will. We're about to wrap this study up this morning. Will I be able to stand up here and finish it? If the Lord wills, I can. If he doesn't, I won't. I warned you that there might be some difficult things. And this is one of those difficult things. We'll never understand all of God's thoughts, his ways. They're so much higher just as the heavens are higher than the earth. we never understand his purposes completely. But we can have faith in his power and nature and have faith in him and his purpose for us. Now I want to do one more thing with this study. It's going to require a couple of lengthy readings, but we're going to go through it very quickly. And I want you to notice some reactions that people in the Bible had when they came to a realization of the power, the supreme power, the sovereignty of God. Just on a, on a moment. All of a sudden, you wonder, they didn't know this? Well, apparently something triggered in them. And, and hopefully it does in us at some point in our lives. Something triggers us completely. I want you to notice first in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. Isaiah here has an incident that happens to him. And we begin there in uh, verse number 1 of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah speaking, 
saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled with the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled, is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is unto me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have sent the, seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon, his mouth, on, upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. You see, Isaiah had been forgiven. Now I want you to notice what he says. Verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You think it didn't have an impact on Isaiah when he saw what he saw? When he saw the power of God? Who will go? I'll go. Does it have that kind of an impact on us? Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left, sp and when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down. Now we can take a lesson from right there. Simon said, We've worked all night. We've got nothing. But if you say so, Lord, we'll do it. We'll go again. Verse 6, And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. <clears throat> and they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Now again, notice verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Just like Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw the power of God. He saw the power of God over nature. But you know it had another reaction in verse 11. And when they brought them to their ship, brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. We do that. When we, when we read the Bible and we see the power of God, do we do that? In Acts chapter 9, we see Paul on the road to Damascus. A great light shines about him. And he's blind instantly. You think God doesn't have power over Saul? He takes his sight from him in, the, in, the, in an instant, in a moment. Paul perceives the presence of God. He understands who's, who's doing this to him. And in verse 6, 
He says, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What I'm trying to get you to notice is what is your reaction when you see the power and authority of God? How do you react? How do you respond? Do you acknowledge your sins like Isaiah and Peter did? Will you say, here am I, send me? I'll work for you, Lord. I'll do what I can. Will you leave everything and follow Jesus? How will you respond? Will you ask, what we have me to do, Lord? You know, if you're not a child of God this morning, you should do all of these things. You should do all of them right now. And you also should do what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized. That's how we should respond. That's how they responded when they saw the power of God. That's how we should respond today. If you're here this morning and we can help you in any way to do any of these things, to respond this way in any way, if you're here this morning and you... Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.